A Democratic data and analytics firm has warned that on November 3rd, election night, Donald Trump will win in a landslide victory. However, over the next week, as mail-in votes begin to get counted, the states will begin turning blue, switching to Joe Biden, who will ultimately win the presidency. They're calling this the red mirage. And the idea is that it will only seem, it will only appear that Donald Trump actually had a landslide when in fact, Joe Biden was the true victor. This is because of mail-in voting. And it says to me, the Democrats are playing dirty games. Recently, it was reported the Democrats and Never Trumpers got together for a war game where ultimately they refused to concede, even going as far as to persuade some states to try and secede from the union if Trump would assume office. Hillary Clinton then said shortly after that Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances. All of this confusion and chaos is predicated upon universal mail-in voting, which is not the same as absentee voting. There's a weak chain of custody, if none at all. And we've never actually had a nationwide universal mail-in voting system where, where I live, for instance, in New Jersey, they're just going to mail out ballots to everyone, making it extremely easy for fraudsters and extremely likely that there will be inaccuracies in vote counts, leading to lawsuits and delayed counting, in which case this Democratic firm is partially correct. I believe we will see a Trump landslide, but then we will only see a weird shift in support for Biden, which they will then challenge or potentially if Joe Biden does win, Trump will challenge. Democratic groups and progressive groups are now calling for people to start resisting in the event that Trump tries to steal the election. But it is not Trump and the Republicans calling for a broken mail-in voting system. In fact, quite the opposite. And the reason I say it's broken is because Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks have both said we can vote in person safely. So my question then is, if it's not COVID, why are Democrats calling for universal mail-in voting, which is relatively, I mean, it's very insecure. I can only imagine it's because they need some way, some kind of edge to stop Trump. And it sounds to me like they're not going to quit no matter what. In 2016, they argued Donald Trump would not accept the results of the election. They published a magazine cover over at The Week about it, showing a bunch of angry Trump supporters screaming. In reality, it was the Democrats who couldn't accept it. And I believe right now they also can't accept that they are going to lose. So this is why they're prepping us for the event, where in my opinion, they play dirty games to win this election. Dare I say cheat. The red mirage to me sounds like Trump really will win. But with a broken chain of custody and questionable votes and broken voting systems, they're going to flip it for Joe Biden. To me, this can only end up with serious conflict. When it comes to the riots we've seen over the past several months, some people have tried arguing on the left that it's isolated violence. It's only in city centers in a few areas. This to me shows their ignorance and their lack of experience with true conflict. Many of these conflicts I've personally experienced were isolated to city centers, but still resulted in revolution and civil war. And that's what they're leaving out when they tell you it's fine. But one day you may wake up to find that the creepy cultist left have placed their morality police, defunded the police, abolished them because they played dirty games this whole time. It doesn't really matter if I think Democrats are cheating. I'll tell you what matters and then we'll read. We'll jump into the story. What matters is that both sides are accusing each other of cheating. The Democrats are actually claiming Trump is the one who's trying to cheat. While I sit here and say, I believe it's the Democrats that are pushing us towards civil war and playing dirty games. 
And that's all that matters. Maybe you think I'm right. Maybe you think I'm wrong. As long as there are people who are steadfast in their belief that they're on the right side, then conflict seems inevitable. And I hope I'm wrong. But let's go through the data and I'll show you what they're saying about the red mirage. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give. There's a P.O. box if you want to send me stuff. But the best thing you can do, share this video. I don't have a big marketing budget or department. I don't put up billboards. I just have word of mouth. If you think I'm doing a really good job and what I'm presenting is fair and should be shared, then please share this video. And don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and let's read the news. Axios says one big thing, exclusive, the red mirage, how the results could change after election night. According to a model that gives Biden more support based on recent state and national polls and estimates and counts 15% of vote by mail ballots daily. You can see this image they've produced. It starts with November 3rd. And as it turns up to November 8th, then 9th, the country turns blue. On November 3rd, it's a Trump landslide, except for the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, and California. By the 7th, it's almost exclusively blue. And by the 9th, it is a Biden landslide. They say it's being called the red mirage, hawkfish, Michael Bloomberg's data and analytics firm revealed modeling to Axios on HBO, showing it's highly likely President Trump will appear to have won, potentially in a landslide on election night, even if he ultimately loses. Why it matters. Imagine what it'll be like in America with its polarization and misinformation if the vote tally swings wildly in the days after November 3rd. They say way more Democrats are expected to vote by mail than Republicans due to coronavirus fears. And it will take days, if not weeks, to tally these. And it's easy to mess up a mail-in ballot. Many will be disqualified. That means Trump, since Republicans' in-person votes will be counted quicker than Democrats' mail votes, could hold big electoral college and popular vote leads on election night. Hawkfish, which is funded by Bloomberg and does work for the DNC and pro-Biden super PACs, warn that's a very real, if not foreordained, scenario. Question then. Wouldn't we be able to very easily see the amount of Democratic votes? If Trump has a popular vote victory, that's around 65 million votes and the Democrats have 55. We can clearly see the Democrat vote count is way low and maybe there should be more votes coming in. But based on the amount of expected voters, if Trump is up by 10 million from last year and Democrats are down, it seems to be well, the numbers make sense, right? That maybe many Democrats switched for Donald Trump. The other question I have to challenge this narrative and why I believe Democrats call for mail-in voting is a dirty trick. If we've always had mail-in voting, if they claim that Donald Trump's absentee ballots are the same, then why is it that in the past several elections, we've called the winner on election night? If mail-in voting always happened, then when Barack Obama won in 2008, shouldn't we have said, now hold on, before anyone concedes on election night, we got to wait for the mail-in count to come in because it might change things. Now, many people may say, well, Tim, it's different because we have more mail-in ballots this time. If that were the case, in 2016, when Donald Trump won by, I believe, only around 70 to 80,000 votes, because it was very close in some states, then shouldn't we have waited for all mail-in ballots to come in before calling the race for Donald Trump? Doesn't something about this seem strange? In some states, Trump won by only a few thousand votes. Certainly, there could have been mail-in ballots then that were missing, and we should have waited a week to see it flip for Hillary. We didn't do that. They called it for Trump, and Trump won. What changed, and why now? And more importantly, 
Why are Democrats scared to vote in person? Perhaps they're being lied to or they're not reading the news. I think that's fair. Hawkfish CEO John Mendelson said, I'm sorry, unveiled the red mirage modeling for Axios White House editor Margaret Taleb. When every legitimate vote is tallied and we get to that final day, which will be some someday after Election Day, it will in fact show that what happened on election night was a mirage. I don't think so. In my opinion, and I could be wrong, it seems like this is an attempt at sort of uh, warning us it's going to happen. They're going to say the red mirage is a thing. And then when all of these votes are miraculously discovered, they'll say, we told you it was going to happen, right? And when Trump challenges it, they'll say he's trying to steal the election. And that's the big challenge about mail-in voting. No chain of custody. It's just mailed out and then just mailed back. Some places are doing a little bit better than others. But for the most part, I've got a mail-in ballot sitting in my room right now. I mention it every time because I have no idea what to do with it or why it's even here. No one asked for it. The Trump campaign communications director, Tim Murtaugh, said in response, the news media should get out of the business of predicting the future. Perhaps. But this to me is a warning. They're laying the seeds for what they might pull off. And I don't believe it's legit. I want to show you something very important. In Patterson, New Jersey, uh, uh, the city council election was voided after mail-in voter fraud. It is real. It exists. One of the first universal mail-in votes failed and a judge overturned it. This is one city. What happens when the red mirage happens? They claim it's not true. Trump didn't win. It's a landslide for Biden. But we've got to count the votes. And then all of these counties, many of them, maybe hundreds, get nullified. And then we have no idea what happened. How about this story from the New York Post? Confessions of a voter fraud. I was a master at fixing mail-in ballots. The New York Post says they, they verified all of this data is true. This individual was swinging elections at every level. Mass voter fraud at the federal level, at the local level, the state level, even just local officials that, you know, for small races, it seemed to make no sense or that didn't matter. More importantly, Fauci says there's no reason in-person voting shouldn't be safe with masks and proper social distancing. Why are we changing the rules of a of, of possibly uh, of the most important election at the last minute when our health advisors that everyone know and trust, everyone knows and trusts are saying it's fine. You can be safe because the Democrats have a different idea of what they uh, <laughs> Democrats have an idea that this is their path to victory. And that says to me, dirty games at, at the, uh, the, the best case scenario, outright cheating, the worst case scenario. Dr. Burks also said it's if it's safe to go to Starbucks in Mississippi, it's safe to wait in line at the polls. There it is. Two of the foremost experts on the coronavirus task force have said it's safe. But the Democrats aren't relenting. They're demanding mail-in voting. And I, and I think I, I know why. Well, like I said, they're playing dirty games and it's going to give them an opportunity to challenge the legitimacy of Trump's vote. But it's also having something to do with this. Political poll says national tracking poll, 3% shift towards Trump in a day. Three, an- another one from. Uh, so the first poll is U, uh, USC Dornsif. Then we have political polls, a 3% shift towards Biden in a day from morning consult. Then we have post-convention poll from Emerson, a two-point shift in Trump's direction since last month. From RMG Research and Just the News, a four-point shift in Trump's direction in three weeks. Political poll says a two-point shift, USC Dornsif, a two-point shift in favor of Trump in just one day. Many of these polls still have Joe Biden doing really well. 
But the polls are shifting dramatically. And we've seen the data, which I highlighted just the other day, that Joe Biden's lead against Trump is lower, is smaller than Hillary Clinton's. They need a miracle. When you combine this with stories like this from the examiner, black voters pushing Trump to victory with support for Biden 15 points down, showing the latest Zogby strategies and EMI research solutions has black support for Trump at 20 percent. We've seen similar from Emerson, from Rasmussen, especially. These polls have been consistent throughout the year. It all suggests that Trump should win in a landslide. And then along comes the Democratic strategy or data and analytics firm saying, no, no, it'll be a red mirage. I'll tell you why I don't trust this. And then I'll tell you why I think we're being pushed towards civil war. And you need to take this seriously. This is a story from the Free Beacon. It's reported by the New York Times and the Boston Globes as well. Exclusive election day war game yields explosive results. The Free Beacon reports a shadowy group of former Obama officials, Obama officials called the Transition Integrity Project, has been hosting Election Day war games to determine what might transpire if Joe Biden and his supporters refuse to concede defeat in November. Ben Smith of The New York Times reports on the various shenanigans the libs might try to pull in the event that Trump is reelected. Quote, for their war game, they cast John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, in the role of Biden. They expected him when the votes came in to concede just as Clinton had. But Podesta playing Biden shocked the organizers by saying he felt his party would not let him concede, alleging voter suppression. He persuaded the governors of Wisconsin and Michigan to send pro Biden electoral electors to the Electoral College. In that scenario, California, Oregon and Washington then threatened to secede from the U.S. if Trump took office as planned. The House named Mr. Biden president. The Senate and White House stuck with Trump. At that point in the scenario, the nation stopped looking to the media for cues and waited to see what the military would do. We recently heard, I believe it was from Mattis, I'm not sure, that the military would not intervene in the event of electoral dispute. In which case, what happens? Does this devolve into violence in the streets? It already has. You've, you've seen it in Portland. Uh, several men walking. When some, someone yells, we got a couple, we got, we got them right here. We got a couple right here. Pull it out right here. Yeah, bang, bang. And a man was dead. We've already seen violence escalating throughout this country. Trump supporters driving through Portland in their, uh, in their trucks and then ending with a Trump supporter being killed. The far left romping around various cities, attacking people and burning down buildings. The violence is already here. I want to explain to you something about my experiences having actually seen civil unrest, separatist movements and civil war. But I want to point out a few things with this first and why I believe escalation is likely. The Free Beacon, in pursuit of its founding mission to preserve American greatness uh, through war related activities, decided to conduct its own Election Day war game using the most advanced blockchain algorithms available on the dark web. The explosive results didn't shock us, but they will probably shock you. Here's a summary of what happened. Joe Biden refuses to concede and goes into hiding after winning just 212 electoral votes. President Trump holds an impromptu rally in front of memory care unit. This is okay. I'm not going to read any of this. The point is the actual war game that they're citing is real. I guess they're trying to be silly. I'm not trying to be silly with this. So that's fine. The New York Times did actually report this, and it was also covered by the Boston Globe. Here's a story from The Hill that came out about one month after we heard John Podesta, who worked for Clinton, would not let Biden concede this race. Hillary Clinton, Biden, quote, should not concede under any circumstances. 
They say former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said in a new interview that Democratic presidential nominee Biden should not concede under any circumstances because she believes the final results in November's elections are going to drag out due to mail-in voting. And there it is. They wouldn't concede. They'd rather have civil war or secession. No one knows exactly what's going to happen, but the Democrats are betting on mail-in voting coming in. I already showed you what happened in Patterson when these votes were disqualified 20%. And that was one of the first big experiments. I believe that we are going to see a fractured and broken election. And the Democrats know this, and they're pushing for it anyway. In which case, this will get dragged out. No one has any idea what's really going to happen. But I'll tell you, I think it will be conflict. From truth out, if Trump tries to hijack the election, we must be ready to resist. Resist what? And what does it mean to hijack the election? If Trump wins on election night in a landslide, the left has now been primed to say no. We're waiting for the total vote count from mail-in ballots. And if many of these, con- these, these mail-in uh, uh, vote counts are contested due to breaks in the, in the custody chain or non-existence of, uh, thereof, or because questionable signatures and Trump sues, they will claim Trump is stealing the election in an attempt to delegitimize this. And they're going to, to be ready to resist. They go on to say that Trump has deployed federal agents. Mind you, this story is from just the other day. Trump has declared a national emergency and sent federal troops to Washington, D.C., Portland, Oregon, during anti-racism protests. Attorney General Barr, blah, blah, blah. Trump is preemptively sowing doubt about the outcome of the election. On July 30th, he suggested delaying the election, although he does not have the legal authority to do so. And he has floated the idea of sending federal troops to the polls. Citing no evidence, Trump declared on the first night of the Republican National Convention, Democrats are trying to steal the election. The only way they can take this election away from us is if it's a rigged election. They're planning on resisting. Here's what's important. There is evidence of voter fraud. I believe there is circumstantial evidence to suggest Democrats should know mail-in voting won't work. They should know that voting in person is safe, yet they persist. And the media now preps us to expect Trump to lose the election after a week after he won it. It doesn't matter if I'm right. It doesn't matter if it's true. What matters is that the right believes Trump is going to win. The Democrats are playing dirty games. And the Democrats and the far left believe Trump is trying to cheat. Salon writes this story. Longtime GOP consultant. This election, the most dangerous period since the Civil War. Never Trump or Stuart Stevens. And how the party he helped build became a crime cartel ruled by a failed casino owner. The lines are drawn. I don't believe there's convincing most people at this point. I've talked to a lot of people about the events in Kenosha and in Portland, and they don't care. And I mean it. There are people who are saying straight up, Kyle Rittenhouse should have been there. He was defending himself and it's his right. I understand that. I lean in that direction, though I believe he shouldn't have been there. We should have had law enforcement involved, and it's unfortunate what happened. A lot of people have said that the man in Portland who killed a Trump supporter was acting in self-defense. They just don't care. People in the middle, most people center center right, center left, and centrist, don't want conflict and don't want any of this to happen and will absolutely condemn both instances as being something that absolutely shouldn't happened, shouldn't have happened. I believe rational people will recognize Portland was substantially worse than Kenosha in terms of what happened because a Trump supporter was targeted and killed. But people have already made up their minds. Trump is a criminal failed casino owner running a cartel and Bill Barr, a storied and respected former you know, attorney general who became a, another who came back out of retirement. They say he's a criminal crony as well. The narrative is set. 
the sides have 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 been set. And, and I've warned about how social media censorship will lead to this. When I go to Reddit and I see nothing but far leftist talking points and fake news, it's it's shocking. They live in an entirely different reality, and it's because of the censorship. Banning conservatives from Twitter did not get rid of these conservatives. It created Parler, a platform now dominated by Trump supporters who live in their world. Personally, I think that the truth is lying closer to the right simply because the truth is closer to the middle and the right has become a bigger tent, which now encompasses traditional liberal centrists and center right individuals, as well as Trump supporters. I believe that looking at all of this, I think I'm being fair in my assessment. If both doctors have said we can vote in person, what argument is there for any mail-in voting? They're doing it anyway. I want to show you this tweet. Adam Taylor said, media coverage can make protests appear more destructive and violent than they are. A few minutes walk away from Portland's downtown protests. You can go buy designer, go buy designer shirts or drink at a brewery. COVID is far more significant factor for most businesses. He's technically right, but he's, he's got the gist of it wrong. I mentioned this several times. I mentioned it earlier today. For those listening on the podcast, you'll hear it in a minute. I was in Egypt during the second revolution. You could walk a few minutes away from Tahrir Square and have McDonald's and go to the store and go to a Hilton casino and gamble and have a, a burger. You could, you could hang out and watch TV and watch soccer like nothing was happening around you. These people don't realize that war isn't like the movies. They think that war is everything exploding at all times. No. The Revolutionary War took years. And I mean, if you actually want to talk about the Revolutionary Period, I believe it was a couple decades. These things went on for a very, very long time. The Civil War, I believe, was also years, though much faster than the Revolution. We are in some kind of civil war. I've said it before. You know, it's hard to know where it starts and where it stops, but we're in it. And we're just all we're all staring at a powder keg that has been filled to the brim and the fuse has been lit. It is sitting in front of us and it is titled with it has the words printed on it. November 3rd. Something will happen. And I believe between after this, that election will be it. The Democrats are playing dirty games. They're claiming Trump is playing dirty games. But I'll tell you this. There's no reason to overhaul our electoral process right now. No one has provided good reason for it. Both doctors, I know I'm repeating myself, I have to drive this home. Both doctors said it's safe. There's no reason for this. So I'll tell you my fear. A lot of people think civil war is going to be two big sides, the North and the South marching towards each other. That's insane. It's going to be small pockets of violence like we're already seeing. It's going to be several. Look, we watched it in Portland just a week or so ago when hundreds of pro-Trump and right-wing groups clashed with far-left groups. Regular people aren't involved in this. What happens when the police don't come out and they're refusing to in Portland now? Not all of them, but many of them. State police were treated previously and the sheriffs are saying we won't help. It could be as simple as this. Many far-leftists are planning on descending on D.C. on September 17th. In about two weeks, they are planning what they call a siege in the White House. What happens if a bunch of pro-Trump individuals show up as well? Clashes ensue. I think you might see one or two things. After the contested election and confusion where Trump wins in a landslide, but Biden also wins in a landslide, 
And the left saying Biden won fair and square and Trump uh, and Trump supporters saying Trump won fair and square and no one agreeing upon who won. There will be a civil war simply with several hundred people in D.C. That will be the primary battle and it will end with one group taking federal ground. And then one day you'll wake up. There will be law enforcement at your door for whichever faction won asserting their rules. In my opinion, Donald Trump winning means the standard rule of law we've had for a long time. The left winning means morality policing, making cultural appropriation illegal, punishing people based on race and a whole bunch of other horrifying prospects that I do not believe in, that I believe fly in the face of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. The left has adopted identitarianism as an ideology, and they're unwilling to concede. I think there's a scenario where people just fight in D.C. and it ends with one faction taking over. Maybe it's the far left. Maybe the Democrats go in and they remove Trump claiming Joe Biden won. Matt Taibbi talked about it. The counting heads phase. A lot of people like to laugh and joke and say, uh, you know, Tim is sensationalizing or catastrophizing. I, I don't I don't care if you disagree with me. These are my legitimate thoughts and opinions on everything that's happening. And I am taking the precautions and I believe that there's a possibility I'm correct. I'm not I'm not choosing lottery numbers. I left New York because of an escalation in the violence. Sure enough, within a couple within about a year and a half, there was mass looting and violence in the city and other cities in ruins. I could not imagine what would have happened if I stayed in that city. I was in New York and I got out. I, I stayed in the New York metro into the Jersey area and ultimately decided it's not smart to be in these cities with the escalation of tensions. I was right. Earlier this year, I did a podcast with Jack Murphy. We talked about the potential for riots and what was to come. And we made several predictions. Unfortunately, on many of these issues, we were right. We were right to the spirit of the idea. And I hope I am wrong. But right now, You take a look at what's happening where Portland rioters went to the condo of the mayor, Ted Wheeler, and they threw debris, flaming debris into his lobby. Perhaps they weren't intending to kill everyone, but they still did it. And what if that caught fire? And what if the building went up in flames? It is possible. They're taking actions that will lead to mass death. They've been rioting for months. 33 people are now dead and a Trump supporter was executed in a targeted attack in Portland. It maybe ends here. I just don't see it. The sheriffs in, I believe it's Clackamas in, in uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, in Oregon, have said to the, the governor, we will not support you in your efforts to stop this. And that means the far left will continue doing what they do. And we're past the realm of peaceful protests long since past. We're at the realm. We are in the world. We, we crossed that line. Maybe the, sh- the, 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 the execution in Portland was a shot heard around the world. But that says to me the far left is willing to kill. Trump supporters so far haven't. They've come out with, you know, with, with sticks and with paintballs. But the left has come out with lethal force. Admittedly lesser early on, but now overt. A gunshot, two shots to the chest, killing a Trump supporter. We saw what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. That's much more complicated. That wasn't somebody targeting the far left. In fact, early in the day, Rittenhouse had rendered aid to these individuals. My fear now is that if the siege goes to the White House and violence ensues, they've already tried burning down the famous church across the street. If thousands of people descend and they they carry out their wishes, we will see D.C. burn. 
I've been to places like Egypt. I've been to places like Ukraine. And war is not what you think it is. There will not be guards, soldiers on every city streets and battles in front of your homes. It will come to some of your homes. The line from the, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson is, 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 is telling. When Mel Gibson's character says, mark my words, this will not be fought in some far off battlefield. It will be fought in front of your homes, in front of your children, and they will learn of it with their own eyes. I'm paraphrasing. The important issue, however, is the distinction between, yes, many of you will see this conflict in your city streets. But for, for most of us, it'll be some far off battlefield. Both can be true, but it's going to be in urban centers where you will see, I, I believe, to be fair, in fact, I think it's mostly going to be suburban. Urban areas are going to be dominated by the left, but they're going to need food. And they're going to start moving out to outer areas in search of resources and targets for their ideological attacks. This will result in suburban defense groups coming in like we've already seen in Kenosha. Maybe that's wrong and maybe it doesn't go there. I'm hoping that's the case. What I'm preparing for is escalation because we hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And unfortunately, I have accurately predicted a lot of what we've seen. Tell me I'm wrong. I hope I am. But I said they would come to your home and I said they would attack you, break your windows, come in and eventually ransack the place. They went to a condo building and they threw flaming garbage on the first floor and it could have taken the building down. We are inching towards exactly what I said would happen. The Democrats are the ones that are refusing to concede. They refused to concede in 2016. They're saying right now they will not concede. Hillary Clinton said it. They're calling for an overhaul of our election system at a time when we don't need it to be done. They're refusing to give up. I can only imagine what that means for conflict moving forward. I hope you take this seriously, and I hope I am incorrect. And if I am, boy, will I be happy. And so should everybody else. And I'll go on and say, look how dumb I was. To be fair, however, I showed you all these polls where things are switching to Trump's favor. Perhaps the Trump landslide will be so extreme, mail-in votes won't matter at all. If everybody does go out and votes for Donald Trump and he wins in an, in, in an overt and like, insane landslide, 50 states, then people are just going to say, doesn't even matter. Biden can't possibly win. I guess we'll see. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Last night, around 200 or so people marched to the mayor of Portland's home. It's a condo building. And they launched fireworks at it, started fires in the street, and they threw debris into his lobby. Some suggested they were trying to burn it down. I'll just say they threw flaming debris into the lobby. It could have resulted in a fire killing tons of people. I'm not, actually, I'm not sure it was a lobby. It may have been one of the ground floor offices. But regardless, they're trying to set buildings on fire. They've done it in the past. And yes, people can and have died from this. We know that in Minneapolis, a building was burnt down and a corpse was found in the rubble. And it's horrifying. But at the same time, the media keeps telling us nothing to see here. I just saw a tweet from Brian Stelter where he's doing an interview and he's like, oh, Trump's lying about what's happening in Portland. <laughs> it's not constantly on fire. It's just not true. And they know it. And here's a picture from Oregon Live showing burning trash or whatever, a picnic bench in the street and fireworks being launched in front of these homes. And I think what we're seeing is this, this idea that what's happening doesn't matter. 
Now, of course, I think the media is just lying. Like easiest way to put it, they're claiming Trump is the one calling for violence and Biden has is, is the one now t- calling for, for calm and peace when Donald Trump's been the one calling for law and order the entire time. From all of this and from the lies we see in the media, it all gets ripped apart with a simple statement from some cops, some sheriff's department uh, from the sheriff, I believe, or, or from a sheriff's department. Kate Brown, the governor of Oregon, said that they were going to they have a new plan and they're going to shut down the rioting and they're going to restore peace. And she said that deputies would be sent in and state police and all that jazz. Sheriff said no. She claimed he was going to do it. She claimed they would send in deputies. The department said, no, we aren't. It's the criminal justice system that needs to prosecute these people. Sheriff's right. What are, they, what are we supposed to do? Keep putting police officers in harm's way for what? They keep releasing the extremists. And, 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 and then you get Brian Stelter saying nothing's happening. Well, if nothing was happening, why would the governor be calling in a, multi, a, a massive task force of police officers from around, the jurisdi- around various jurisdictions? Answer me that, Brian. Answer me that every other pundit lying about what's happening, saying there are no riots, Trump's making it up. I want you to ask the people who live in this building how they feel. Apparently, they were throwing things out of their window at these people the day before. When residents called the police because these far leftists were occupying the lobby of the condo, it was reported that initially the police did not show up. I don't know if they ever did, but here we go. Now, in this instance, the police did show up. They say from Oregon Live, March to Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler's residence Monday declared riot as burning debris thrown into building key takeaways. More than 200 people on Monday night marched to the Pearl District Condominium Tower, where Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler lives, to demand his resignation. And you know what's funny? Outside of the fires and the destruction, I agree with them. I think we all agree. Can, 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 can we somehow have this moment where the right and the left can hold hands and sing songs in the middle of the road screaming, Ted Wheeler resign? Because everybody agrees. He's got to go. Oregon Live says, the demonstration quickly turned destructive as some in the crowd lit a fire in the street, then placed a picnic table from the nearby business on top of the fire to feed the blaze. People shattered windows and broke into a ground floor dental office, took items, including a chair, and added it to the fire. Wow. And office supplies. Shortly after 11 p.m., a bundle of newspapers was set ablaze and thrown into a ground floor storefront in the residential building. Around the same time, police arrived and warned over a loudspeaker that the gathering had been declared an unlawful assembly then a riot. Officers ordered people to leave to the west. The 16-story building contains 114 residences, but the fire didn't appear to spread and was quickly extinguished. Police used crowd control munitions and released smoke into the air as they pushed the crowd west. These people are trying to murder innocent residents of Portland. Now listen, I am not saying that the rioters are showing up and going, I'll kill as many people as possible. No, they're going, good throw, throw fire. Yeah, throw fire. <laughs> they don't, they're not thinking about the grand consequences of what their fire would do. I don't think they're smart enough. I think it's a mob. They're smashing windows, setting fires, and then one, listen, I've said this was going to happen. All right. You know what? It's, it's, it's the mayor of, uh, of Portland's home, but I said, it's only a matter of time before they come to your home. They smash your windows. And what happens is one person runs up and smashes a window and runs away. Another person runs up and goes inside. 
Other people see that and they go inside. It's how mob mentality works. Eventually, with people ransacking the inside of the office in a matter of seconds, somebody takes a debris and garbage and fire and throws it inside, not thinking that they could burn down a building with 114 residences inside of it, killing every single person. They're not thinking about that, but they are trying to kill. And what I'm trying to say is, well, they may not be planning ahead that far. Their actions in throwing fire into a building is an attempt to burn the building down, regardless of what they're thinking about. And that could lead to many people dying. It's the Portland mayor's home today. It was the Seattle police chief's home yesterday. It was the Oakland, uh, the mayor of Oakland's home the day before. It was the Seattle city council the day before that. And I'm, I'm, I'm making a point. Obviously, these were spaced out between, you know, weeks or a month. But they're coming to people's homes. And the riot has now tried to kill at least 114 people. Now, I would say it's arguably more than that. I don't know if every single residence is occupied in the building. I'd imagine it's not. But I also imagine that some of the condos have more than one person living inside of it. What do we get from the media? What does Brian Stelter say? Brian Stelter tweeted this from CNN. Everyone in Portland, Oregon knows that the president is lying when he says the entire city is ablaze all the time. So does Laura Ingram. But she doesn't call him out. On the last word, I talked about the reasons why. He said money, access to power. Let me tell you, let me, let me, let me break it down for you. Am I implying that every single building in the city is burning down and there's like demons in the air and they're breathing fire? No. Am I implying that Antifa is trying to murder millions of people? No. Am I implying that the riot is more than 200 people? No, I'm reading you the story. It's 200 people trying to burn a building down. They've been setting fires throughout the city endlessly for months. The whole city isn't burning. The whole city is like 145 square miles. I think we all understand that, Brian, but you're lying when you take, it's an exaggeration of exaggerations of exaggerations. Trump says something like, the city's burning. These people are running around. Yeah, he's being hyperbolic, but the city, in a sense, is burning. They're trying to burn down buildings. They have burned down buildings or or, or they have tried to burn police departments alive. I'm sorry, police departments with people alive inside. Clarify. But it's Brian Selter's job to just fan, you know, just nothing to see here. Nothing's going on. Go back to sleep, America. Here's American Gladiators. Here's a thousand channels of it. Remind you of somebody? That's 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 the point that's been made over and over again. And that's what Brian Selter's job is. He's holding a big placard in front of you, a big cardboard piece, of, so you can't see anything. Nothing's going on. Trump's, li- Trump's lying. Now, let me ask you something. Trump was lying. Then why would there be video of it? Why would there be local outlets reporting on it? And why would the sheriff straight up say, we're not going to help the governor? Now, this to me is, is the big news. When the cops start saying no, it's not even a blue flu. The governor came out and she was like, we have a plan to end all the violence. She even agreed to bring in the FBI. And I respect that. I do. But it would appear she lied. That's how desperate and insane these people are to put a lid on what they have fomented. Joe Biden's staff providing money to bail out these these rioters in Minnesota. Kamala Harris soliciting donations to bail out the rioters in Minnesota. And that's huge. And it's not just that. I mean, they've 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 both praised the protests And as we know, protest was actually riot the whole time. I've been following this. There have been protests and I've praised them. But come on, when Joe and Kamala 
when, when Joe's campaign is, is bailing these people out, when Kamala is calling for donations, they're not calling for donations, donations for peaceful protesters. Peaceful protesters aren't getting arrested. The people who are at violent riots are getting arrested. Not all of them are throwing bricks, but all of them are at violent riots. So I'll do this. Let me quote the far left. They said, it's a really funny tweet they put out. If you have 12 bad cops and 1,300 good cops won't, uh, won't turn over the 12 bad cops, then you have 1,312 bad cops. 1312 is far left code for ACAB. All cops are bad. I'll put it that way. Keep it family friendly. So I can say the same thing if you want to play that game. If you've got 12 violent rioters and 1,300 peaceful protesters who won't stop the 12 violent rioters, you have 1,312 violent rioters now, don't you? Now, I think that's silly. Of course you don't. A lot of dumb people are just down there, mind, you know, mindlessly. And then all, all hell breaks loose and they run around panicked and frantic. And then that's what the extremists want, however. It's one of the tactics of the far left to radicalize people. They want people to experience getting locked up and they want people to not understand. So here's what happens. They encourage people to show up. They say, everybody, we're going to we're going to protest and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. These people come out and they're hippy dippy, you know, smiles and tie dye shirts or whatever. And the far left goes and punches a cop. Then the cops say, OK, it's violent. We're going to start clearing it out. The, the normie people who are there are going, what's happening? Why am I being attacked? And the cops are like, move, leave. And they don't. And then they start getting what the left does. They start filling these people's heads with propaganda. They start saying, wasn't it wasn't it crazy how the cops just moved in for no reason? They used to do this to my live streams and I didn't like it. I would be streaming. And there's a one, there's one famous moment during Occupy. They start shaking a barricade and the cops are like being pushed back. And then one guy grabs the hat off the head of a cop. So he pulls out his baton or one, one, one of these cops does. And he starts using it sideways to push people back. They start pushing him and shoving the barricades. And then he starts swinging it violently. The far left took only the clip of the cops swinging the baton defensively, but claimed it was offensively. That's what they do. So they wait until the violence erupts. The regular people are panicked. And that's the footage they release. And then Brian Stubter comes out and helps them do it. No, the entire city isn't burning. But the far leftists are going around to various residential neighborhoods in the city periodically over the past three months, and they've attacked people in their own neighborhoods. It's happened. So you can argue that, you know, Brian Stelter's taking this interpretation that it must be 50,000 people burning down buildings or nothing. Or you can say if 200 people keep getting released to the point where the cops say they will not be coming in, something is going on. And when they come to different neighborhoods, it's only a matter of time before they come to yours. And remember what I said? They'll go to your home. They'll break the window. They'll go inside. They just did it to Mayor Ted Wheeler. Now, I don't like the guy, but come on, man, stay out of that building. I don't agree with anything. I think you, we, can, we can insult the guy. We can call for his resignation. But throwing flaming debris into his building, stealing things from an office, breaking into the stores, the ground level. It is only a matter of time before the marches and the residential neighborhoods do the same thing to someone they think is a Nazi. And that could be a random guy, some random guy walking on the street. We've seen the video. They get shoved to the ground. It's only a matter of time. And you can laugh and you can say, oh, please, him, it's not going to happen. I am not predicting lottery numbers here. I'm telling you, I'm showing you an article where they literally went to the homes, the private homes, 114 homes in one building, and they, they, they threw burning garbage into the first floor that could have started a fire. 
lot of these modern buildings are hard to burn. But that's no excuse for throwing burning debris into a building this way. And I'll tell you what, I said they'll come to your home. It's only a matter of time because they've done it. They've gone to Tucker Carlson's home. They've gone to Cassandra Fairbanks' home. I'll tell you what, this is worse. 114 residences. They could have killed hundreds of people. And they don't care. And neither does CNN or the New York Times. They will spit in your face with lies. They will piss on you and tell, tell you it's raining. Oh, yeah, that, that pain and suffering. Nothing to see here. Now the cops don't even want to come in. K, uh, KATU says the sheriff of Clockamas in Washington County say they will not send staff to help with protests in Portland after Oregon Governor Kate Brown unveiled a plan to address the violent protests. The plan called on several local law enforcement agencies to help, including the sheriff's offices of Washington and Clockamas counties. Clackamas County Sheriff Craig Roberts said the governor did not approach his office before rolling out the plan intended to address the violence and arson while also protecting free speech. We, we've got the statement here. Let me read it for you from Sheriff Roberts. On Sunday, August 30th, I read that Governor Kate Brown announced a new plan to address the lawlessness happening in Portland. I was surprised to read that Clackamas County Sheriff's Office was part of the plan since the governor's office never contacted me. Had Governor Brown discussed her plan with my office, I would have told her it's about changing policy, not adding resources. Increasing law enforcement resources in Portland will not solve the nightly violence, uh, violence and now murder. The only way to make Portland safe again is to support a policy that holds offenders accountable for their destruction and violence. That will require the DA to charge offenders appropriately and a decision by the Multnomah County presiding judge not to allow offenders released on their own recognizance and instead require bail with conditions. The same offenders are arrested night after night only to be released by the court and not charged with the crime by the DA's office. The next night they are back at it, endangering the lives of law enforcement and the community all over again. For all of us in law enforcement, keeping our communities safe is, a, is our first priority. Had Governor Brown asked me, I would have told her that no amount of human resources will stop the cycle of violence, her term, that is making Portland unsafe. For that to occur, the criminal justice system will need to do its part and hold offenders accountable. How pathetic that the governor did not actually even talk to any of these people. She lied to everyone. I feel bad for people who live in Portland, man. Y'all got some good hot sauce and donuts, apparently. They got a great donut place in Portland. And I remember, you know, Portland was a beautiful place. It really was. And for the most part, the same is true. This is the game that the media is playing. We know that if you go to Washington, D.C., you're going to walk around just fine. These are the lies, the lies of the media to manipulate you. Here's what you need to understand. I was in Egypt during the revolution. If you follow my content, you, you've heard me talk about this before, but from, I, I have to give the context for a lot of people who may be new to, new to my, my, my show. When I was working for Vice, I was in Egypt during the second revolution. You could walk two blocks away and there was a McDonald's and you could have a burger and watch soccer like nothing was happening around you. You could take a ride to Heliopolis. I went there, went to the mall, bought a phone, you know, grabs, so you were trying to get some internet, had uh, uh, kebabs, really good, by the way. I think it was like sheep or lamb and uh, had a Coke. And we sat down and we just hung out like nothing was happening. But it was a revolution. This is what people don't understand. It takes very few people to disrupt and destroy the system and overturn a government. The overwhelming majority of people in Egypt probably were just like, we want change, but leave us alone. 
It was a, it was a few thousand people in Tahrir Square. Outside of this area, it was normal, not completely normal. I mean, there was there was a lot of there was a lot going on. You had in Nasser City, which was not too far away, the Muslim Brotherhood holding big prayer gatherings and occupying this large area. But for the most part, what people need to understand, there will never be a moment where the entire city is aflame. Never. That's not what people should be worried about because that's extreme, extremely rare. What people should be worried about is roving bands of hundreds of people trying to burn down condo towers. I mean, I remember that story from the UK about that building burning down. It can happen. And what would we be saying right now if the police didn't come in and stop this violence? Would I be waking up to tell you that the police were, were standing down due to the ongoing escalation of violence and 200 people were roasted alive in a building? Would that, would that be the report I had to give? That's what I'm worried about. So long as people like Brian Stelter continue lying about what's going on and acting like it's not happening, people, there's probably people in Portland who don't even know. They, 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 we see these videos, they come out and they're like, look, Portland's so dangerous. And they show a normal street. How, how psychotic is that? I have video footage from, from Egypt. I could go there and be like, there's no revolution. Look, there's somebody eating McDonald's. Everything's fine, everybody. That's the trick. That's the game. One thing I've talked about in reference to all of this violence is the, is the, how, how few people are required to actually destroy a system. And the more people, the more our population expands, the easier to destabilize it becomes. If you have a hundred people living in a city and 1% of them riots, it's one person running around screaming. Two people can stop this person. If you live in a city of two point, uh, if you live in an island of 2.5 million, Manhattan, and 1% starts going out and rioting. That's almost comparable to the amount of police, let alone if 10% were. 10% of the, of the population of Manhattan came out, it would be absolutely insane. But if you had even just 1%, just 25,000 people, how would you stop that? And they would say 99% of the people in Manhattan are peaceful. It's this 1%. Let's say you have a thousand protesters and they're peaceful and they say it's only a small percent of the people who are violent. That could be a hundred violent extremists trying to burn down buildings. It takes one person setting aflame one stack of papers in the lobby of a building to kill hundreds of people. They're going to tell you it's not happening. I'm grateful the police came in, cleared these people out and made sure those who live in that building are safe, Ted Wheeler included. I don't like Ted Wheeler, but I cer certainly wish him the best of health. We're supposed to be, uh, I mean, we are, I guess, you know, we're, 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 we're the sane people. They don't want, we, that we don't want to see anybody hurt. It's really annoying when people are like, you see these people cheering for the death of those in, in, in uh, Wisconsin. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not fans of those people either. I'm sure there are certain people say, who are saying, look, if you try and grab the barrel of a gun, you get shot, you die. That I get. The people who are cheering for it, you're wrong. We shouldn't be cheering for this. You do not want full scale conflict. Trust me, very few people who want it actually have experienced it. The people claiming they want it. But most people on the right don't. What did, what did we hear from the, from the friend of the victim in Portland? Law enforcement needs to deal with this. You're right, sir. What did Donald Trump say? The police need to deal with this. What have I been saying? The police need to deal with this. What is the left saying? Get active. What did Joe Biden say? It's time for action. What did Kamala Harris say? Please donate to bail these people out. 
What did the governor say? Don't worry, the cops are coming in. Wink. And the cops were like, that's not true. She never asked us. And what did Brian Stelter say? It's not happening. Donald Trump's lying. There are no protests. Brian Stelter got on TV and said, there is no war in Bossing Say. I can't believe it. I mean, I can't believe it, really. But I, what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to ex- uh, explain is my uh, uh, exasperation, the, in, the incredible lies that we see from the media. From the New York Times, Biden condemned violence. Why won't Trump? Only one candidate incites his supporters to mayhem. One Trump rally. One. One. They drove around in trucks in Portland. They had paintball guns. And now that's the narrative. Joe Biden comes out and says the same thing. Why won't Trump? I challenge him to condemn the violence on both sides. Trump literally did that years ago. And Joe, you smeared him relentlessly for doing so. And that's the name of the game. They think we're stupid. But you know what I see with this story from the New York Times? It's shocking. It really is. Biden condemned violence. Why won't Trump? Is that it's not even a joke. They know that there are there are many uninitiated people who will see the headline and go, wow. But I have to imagine the average person is not that stupid. I mean, these people have to be really underestimating. I mean, look at this protester protests in L.A. after another guy gets shot and Brian Stelter. The entire city is ablaze all the time. But uh, uh, the president is lying when he says it. Okay, sure. What Brian is doing, like the media often does, is taking the most extreme interpretation of what Trump said and taking it literally. That's the name of the game. So perhaps what Brian is really saying is we know, we know they just tried to kill hundreds of people in a condo, but you know, it's not every condo. Okay, you're right. Sure. How about he come out and say, look, Trump exaggerates. All right. Trump comes out and he says the city is burning and you've got this stuff going on because it's been three months and they've traveled to many different parts of the city. Fine. But it's several hundred people, blah, blah, blah. I mean, even if he said that, I'd give him a little bit more respect, but I got to be honest. This just shows that Brian Stelter literally knows nothing about conflict and should not be reporting on it. It's one of the biggest problems I've had with journalists ever since I've uh, started doing this beat. When I used to go on the ground and cover riots, I will tell you this. I've actually got I've actually gone through hostile environment training. I thought it was I thought it was stupid and I thought I was smarter than the people there because I've actually been in you know hostile situations and they didn't understand tech. But I, I, I digress. All of my personal arrogance aside, I actually understand conflict. Brian has no idea. He's just a dopey upper class elite who thinks let them eat cake sitting atop his ivory tower as you get attacked going to going to going to work as you're scared. You can't wear a hat. Brian sits in his ivory tower in New York City going, <laughs> there is no there's no conflict. Oh, Trump's lying. It reminds me of this comic that the left likes to use where there are two birds sitting there drinking co- drinking tea and one bird says, Mr. Owl isn't a violent uh, predator, is he? And the other bird says, hasn't given me any trouble. And the next panel, he goes, I don't understand what Mr. Mouse keeps saying about Mr. Owl. That's the that's that's the joke. That's the, the point they're making is that because they're not victimized by it, it doesn't exist. That's exactly what Brian Stelter is. The upper class, extremely wealthy elite on CNN, who his entire basis of his show is complaining about Fox News, telling you it's all a lie. And I'm sure the people in Portland are now worried. They just tried to burn down a condo. If they're if you're not worried, you're not paying attention. 
It doesn't need to be 10,000 people. It can be one arsonist on the loose. I just watched the movie Zodiac. You ever see that movie? One guy had, had California in, in, uh, in panic. One guy, because I couldn't find him. You got 200 in Portland, and they will try to kill you. Hopefully the police do something, but they, I guess what, what can they do? The DA and the court system are letting these people do whatever they want. It's going to be up to the federal legal system to shut it down, but they don't have jurisdiction in local affairs. The feds have come for many of these people. Hopefully it's enough, but it's going to require the local DA doing something and they're not. And the governor is lying. The media is lying. And I just see escalation coming. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Recently, a video went viral showing a white man walking down the street minding his own business when a black man runs up behind him and bashes him over the back of the head with a rock. I didn't initially cover this story or report on it because, to be honest, I don't think it's significant that violent crime happened in this particular instance. We have definitely seen these kinds, these, these acts of violence, notably in New York, where Hasidic Jews were being targeted beaten in the streets. And it, it did tend to be black individuals committing the crimes. I'm not concerned about the race of the individual. I know the media is when it's inverted. And I think that's why a lot of people are sharing the stories. They're saying, hey, how come this happened and the media won't talk about it? But when it happens the other way, it's like racism being a health crisis. And I think there is a media disparity because the media and our culture operates under the far left's assumption about race. In fact, that's probably where the far left's definition of racism comes from. The idea that only white people can be racist is probably fed into or even created by the fact that the media does tend to have a one-sided approach to the reporting. Let me make one thing clear before we get into the reality of this story, and it is about race relations. I don't, I don't care about the race of the individuals, for the most part. For me, it's somebody committed a crime. Arrest that person, they committed a crime. They're a criminal. It's similar to like the gun argument with the guy at the far left guy in, in Seattle. I'm sorry, in Portland. My, my argument is the dude's a murderer. That's the focus. He used a gun to do it. The rest is, you know, could theoretically play a role, especially when you're doing like greater data analysis and everything. But I, I, don't, I don't like playing these games. You know, I, I understand why people are upset that certain videos or certain stories get certain attention. And of course, let me let me show you. The CBS Baltimore story says video shows depraved attack of man hit by brick in Baltimore, police searching for victim and suspect. And of course, the race isn't an issue in this regard. There was a story a while ago in Chicago where a young special needs white man, or I shouldn't even say man, I think he might have been underage, was kidnapped by three black people and tortured and insulted. And there have been many stories like this. And I'll tell you what, man, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I know all too well the realities of racism anybody can be racist. And that's why my, my bigger concern is, look, if you're a criminal, you're a criminal. But here's the real story. The reason I bring this stuff up, DC Mayor Muriel Bowser says she is worried the US is descending into a race war as it's revealed the FBI is investigating domestic terrorism and 70% of the people arrested over the weekend were from other cities. Sounds about right. But Muriel Bowser is wrong. Wrong-ish. We are seeing a lot of chaos in the streets. The riots are along racial, uh, are racialized. The motivation for many of these people is race. And it is true that a large portion of the rioters, looters, and Black Lives Matter protesters are black. They're disproportionately relative to the national population, but they are still overwhelmingly white as well. And that's the point I want to bring up, sort of to push back on this narrative from Muriel Bowser. 
The U.S. is not descending into race war. I'm, I'm sorry, it's just not. There's a racialized component of the conflict. But you had a white dude shoot a white dude in Portland, and there was even a conservative who made a joke about white on white violence. I thought it was actually, actually really funny. It's a good point to be, to be made. The issue is, for me, especially when we're seeing mass exodus from cities, for one, I think humans do tend to have a racialized component of their behavior. I don't necessarily know if I want to play the game, uh, play the game of saying these people are all racist. But the reason why you see, you know, a white guy shoot a white guy is because they were in a white area. And, th- and that's just a reality of this country. Chicago is very segregated, but people segregate by choice. So when you see one person of one race committing a crime against a person of the same race, well, they, they live in the same areas. People choose to do these things. And when you look at the greater conflict, Muriel Bowser may be saying that we're about to go into a race war. And, and, and I, we're, I, we're, I, we'll start reading this in a second. My, my re- the reality is I just had a, a black conservative Trump supporter running for Congress on my show that race was not, a, was not an issue. Again, there's a component, but it's not a race war. I, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my interpretation of what she's trying to say is wrong, because my assumption is that you're basically saying people of different races are going to take up arms against different races. I don't see that happening. I see white people complaining about racism, changing the definition and targeting people of all races. I see black police officers being attacked by white progressives. And yeah, there are there are white racists who are ultra traditionalists. You can call them right wing, I guess. I, I, I don't know, you know, outside of politics, if someone's just a racist, if that's right or left wing, because the left wing can be racist, too. Anyway, the point is, I think this, this kind of conversation from um, Muriel Bowser is what exacerbates the problem. And I don't think that race is the predominant factor in who will be targeting who. It's far left. It's, it's, it's extremist versus moderate. It, it's really where we're at right now. You've got, you've got centrist types, center right, center left, conservatives, traditional liberals, mostly disaffected. And then you have the far left. And that's the real conflict here. And there are people of all different races in every side of these things. Well, let's read and just get to the news. They say Bowser, a Democrat, was speaking at a press conference on Monday after a weekend of chaos in the nation's capital, which saw demonstrators clash with police outside of Black Lives Matter Plaza. Funny name, huh? What I'm worried about is this country descending into a race war, she said, adding that intensified police forces in some cities like Portland and Seattle has created more anger among protesters. Well, too bad you can't go out and burn down people's buildings. Too bad. Look, man, I have talked about the issue of you get a riot protesting police, you send out more police, you're giving them a target. That's true. But there's a line and it's a rock and a hard place. You don't just say, well, then we don't send out anybody (laughs) because then they're just going to keep going. You got to shut it down and prosecute people. That's really the only way to do it. And you got to have real conversations. If these people are unwilling to do it, arrest them because violence is not the answer. They say D.C. Police Chief Newsham also said there were there was evidence that groups of people are driving to various protest hotspot cities like tourists to participate or even provoke the violence. Yes, me and other some of my journalist friends routinely. I mean, it it wasn't just among our circle. We call these people the tourists. T.M. quote the tourists. They're specific people. They fly around the world to join protests. We always have called them the tourists. A lot of people are saying someone's funding these people. How are they doing it? Dude, travel is not expensive. These people work at McDonald's and Starbucks. They save up a couple hundred bucks. They buy a budget bus ticket for 20 bucks and they're there in your city. Smashy, smashy. 
It's not hard. You don't need a lot of funds for this. And when you get district district attorneys that are saying, we're not going to prosecute these people, then they just get released. No, you cashless bail. There you go, man. It is not expensive. He said the same van had been spotted at the riots in Kenosha, Portland and D.C., and that the FBI have now been investigating potential domestic terror groups. It was driven by Jeremy Vajko, 27, crossing state lines to, to provide supplies and resources to extremists. Y'all are going to see a visit from the feds. According to an incident report, he plowed the van into a crowd of more than 100 people. Vajko was arre- arrested for reckless driving, but charges are not being pursued. What? He claims he was only driving at five miles per hour and that he has been in Portland and Kenosha to give out medical supplies. He was previously arrested in June and July in Portland for disrupting the peace. Chief News Newsom said of him, there was a van that was driving recklessly, potentially could have hit pedestrians and officers. That vehicle was a van. It was registered on the West Coast in Washington state. We have intelligence to suggest the van was also at some of the violence we saw in Portland and Kenosha. He said later, this isn't just Washington, D.C. We've seen violence in other cities. And to the extent that this is coordinated, us in law enforcement, we have a responsibility to find out if it is. There's a, there's, there is, there's, uh, there's a potential that it could be domestic terrorism. I'll tell you what, man, I'd say it is. They are driving across state lines, providing resources, medical supplies. I get, man, it's tough. I don't want people to be hurt. And if they do get hurt, I want them to be helped. I tell you what, even enemy combatants, we provide aid to. Have you seen that movie? What was it? 1917. I can't remember the name where 1911. I don't know. The, one of the guys tries saving the life of this pilot and he ends up dying for it. Yeah, we're human, man. Even when we fight, we try to save the lives of those we are fighting. We tend to the wounded. So I understand this man's desire to go out and give supplies. But I got to question his intent when he's driving around all these different instances. And if he's really only giving them medical supplies, I got to say, I just I don't buy it. I don't I don't trust him. I'm sorry. They're being investigated. If all he is is trying to help people, then fine, so be it. I just don't believe it. All that means is there will be an investigation. But what this really means, we need the federal government to step up and start digging into these people. They're doing it. 74 people facing serious charges in Portland. But we got to track down the people, the tourists who are going from city to city and burning and destroying things. Here's what you need to understand. We see this riding across all these cities. There are a lot of people doing it. There are. I'd I'd imagine it's a hundred plus thousand people who have been in various cities. But guess what? We're we're, we're a country of 328 million or whatever. It is a relatively small group. But look at the destruction and damage they've wrought in all of these different places. Now, to be fair, the bulk of the rioters, I believe, are actually in their home cities. These people who are driving around, flying around, taking buses are the professional organizers and agitators that can turn a city into chaos. You get a couple hundred people who are angry at the cops. You sprinkle in a few of these tourists and they know how to foment chaos. They want revolution, nothing less. They've said it. Now, I truly believe that the bulk of the extremists who hold their ideologies probably in the low millions. We've seen that, according to many uh, surveys, progressive activists make up about eight to 10 percent of the country. Most of these people, I mean, because that's eight to 10. What what was that? Like 25 to 30 million people. Most of these people are not going around and burning things to the ground, but many are peacefully protesting. And I mean that they are, but they provide the shields and the barriers for those that are doing the violence and, and those that would travel from city to city to destroy our livelihoods, our businesses. 
The people in Kenosha who burned down those bu- those bu- those businesses and those buildings, well, we actually heard from the police. 175 arrests, 100 plus were from outside of Kenosha. So they're not from here. They're not from our towns. They say the FBI has not released any information about the van or any other potential domestic terror groups. An incident report by the Metro PD revealed the driver who has not been named plowed the vehicle into crowds of protesters outside the Hay Adams Hotel at around 1.15 a.m. The person was arrested and charged with reckless driving. Newsham went on to say that the police force's response in Washington over the weekend was warranted and that the crowds are who are inciting the violence, not law enforcement. Yes, yes, yes. I, I have been to far too many of these events. OK, I tell you, man, it's always, always. OK, I don't want to be hyperbolic. I got to be precise in my language. Ninety percent of the time I have seen cops like in Ferguson. I, this is crazy. A cop walked right up, lobbed a flashbang. People were just standing there. Boom. All of a sudden, people went nuts. Everyone started running around going crazy, smashing things. That was under Obama. Ninety percent of the time I'll be at a protest march. And some fringe leftists will chuck a water bottle at a cop hitting him. And then the cops will be like, stop, stop, get back. And the people will start screaming in the faces of the cops. And that's it. That one spark. They go into the middle of the crowd. They crouch down and they go woof, right over their head. They're trying to start the violence. Now, the left always goes, they're, they're provocateurs, agent provocateur. It's the government who did it. Oh, come on. I've been to these meetings. Respect the diversity of tactics, they would say. So when the far left extremists show up with bricks, they say, well, I know, you know violence is bad, but you got to respect a diversity of tactics. Could you imagine any general in a war? And he's got like a map laid in front of him. He's like, OK, we're going to move these troops here. That's my that's my unit. For the rest of you, I will respect your diversity of tactics. Have at it. What? You'd lose. You need a cohesive strategy to what you're doing. And if someone disobeys the order, we're like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to throw bricks at people. They'd be like, arrest this man and remove him from relieve him of his duty because he's nuts for these leftist protesters to go out and claim that they're just respecting a diversity of tactics. What they're really saying is there's no plan. There's no strategy and there's no goal. And they permit the violence and shield these people. This guy drove his van into a group of people. Now, the reason I don't lead with that, and I think they don't either, is because he wasn't really going that fast. It would it would seem, quote, police officers are human beings, too. When you throw bricks and rocks and bottles and urine and set fires, there is going to be a police reaction. So folks who want to suggest or paint the picture that this was somehow peaceful and the police indiscriminately used munitions against them, they're not being honest. Since Thursday night, police in D.C. have arrested 69 people in relation to the protest. Newsom said on Monday that 70 percent of them had come from other cities, but he did not give specifics. Trump on Sunday told Bowser to start arresting people or have the National Guard sent in. Mayor Bowser should arrest these agitators and thugs. Clean up D.C. or the federal government will do it for you. Enough. She complained on Monday that even when the police do arrest people, prosecutors do not bring charges. It came as Trump tweeted that Democrats, Democrat mayors and governors of cities and states uh, where there is ongoing unrest have lost uh, have lost control. And look at this. Even Mayor Bowser is saying the D.A. won't prosecute. Well, there you, you need Trump. Come on. This is D.C. Trump. What are you doing? Get, 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 get the federal prosecutors to do their jobs. The, here's a quote. The radical left mayors and governors of cities where this crazy violence is taking place have lost control of their, quote, movement. It wasn't supposed to be like this, but the anarchists and agitators got carried away and don't listen anymore. Even forced slow Joe out of his basement. Yep. 
And they're claiming Trump is the one instigating this, that Trump wants this. No one is making the far left do any of this. They could stop whenever they want. I think it's funny when the resistance people are like, these far leftist Antifa types may, may as well be wearing, you know, Trump 2020 signs, stickers or whatever, because it's helping Trump. And I'm like, it's a great point. They may as well. They love it. They, but what, what's really happening is when the media defends them and calls it peaceful protests and shields them, provides cover and blames Trump, the more they do this, the more emboldened the far left will be. So yes, the riots are helping Trump. Why? The media is shielding them, but we can see the videos on the internet. So the lies aren't working. The media comes out and says peaceful protests. The media comes out, Trump's actually to blame for all of this. But we can see the videos and we know Trump isn't to blame. I saw this this video that was trying to smear Trump by showing a bunch of quotes of him saying back in the good old days, you know, we'd punch people, he'd be on a stretcher. And I'm like, you think this is bad for Trump showing how he was saying that if you attack us, we'll punch in the face and knock you out. That's exactly what Americans want to hear right now. They want to hear that when these lunatics show up to our neighborhood, Trump's going to walk up and punch him in the face. I mean this figuratively. Okay, when Trump says it, sure, he says it. But what people are imagining, we need someone strong to say, you do not hurt people because we will punch you. We want police to come in and make these arrests. As for the race war, I, I think that's a bit over the top. I did mention, you may have seen the video of the guy getting clubbed over the back of the head. Yeah, these issues are real. And so I think there, there is something here. And I think, I think I need to bring up that there's a real possibility moving forward. And I'll tell you why. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. People have a tendency to live in areas with their own race. It's, a, it's true. It was interesting for me on the south side because it was a mixed pot. What ends up happening is that it's mostly about uh, for whatever reason, people want to live in their own communities. I mean, it's just a reality. I'm not asserting why that is. We've seen it in other countries. I covered this when I was in Sweden. The Somali migrants who would come to Sweden, the refugees, would choose to live in their own communities with people of the same race. It's true for Chicago. Chicago is deeply segregated by race. There's like literal streets where you're like, you cross that street, all of the houses are owned by black people. You cross the street, all the houses are owned by Latino people. Cross that street, it's all white people. I'm not even joking. The, the, the areas are fairly large, a few square miles, but it is deeply, deeply segregated. So what ends up happening now, as we see what the Daily Mail is calling the great COVID exodus, Americans are fleeing the nation's great cities in droves, are moving to rural Vermont, Idaho and Oregon due to fear of living in dense urban centers. I'd imagine this is literal white flight. I, I, I think it's a fair assessment, though I could be wrong. Just my personal opinion, by all means, I could be wrong. I think you're going to see a lot of white people fleeing these cities. And they're probably going to be going to white areas. For what reason? I, I, I'm not going to assert that they're racist or whatever. I'm just saying this is what is a tendency we've seen. I've covered this in the, only in the past few years, and we see it reflected in city demographics. As people start moving, my concern is that you've got a left in this country that is exacerbating the problems of racial tensions. You've got California, for instance, that is trying to repeal their civil rights legislation. Not even kidding. They voted to do it already. It's going to referendum in November. What do you think happens when you get white flight and people start moving into areas where it's basically their own, just more people like them, more of their own race, and then you strip away these protections? Muriel Bowser may be correct when she says this. She's a Democrat, although I don't necessarily agree simply based on the fact that ideology is the driving component. If people are leaving and we do see people start self-segregating, 
not not intentionally because they're running from certain races, but because they're choosing to live um, among people of the same race or at least similar culture, then I think you might actually see overtly race uh, uh, race based uh, conflict simply because people are going to have ideological lines drawn between certain areas where one will be dominated by one race or the other. I hope that's not true. I hope it's not the case. And I hope my speculation is completely incorrect. But based on my understanding of things, I mean, it seems likely. Look, you need to look at a map of Chicago. And the New York Times did this a, while, a, few, a few years ago, the racial demographics of Chicago. And it's like, it, it's, you can see lines. You can see like dividing lines. I never liked it. The area I grew up in was very mixed. The, the, we had immigrants, a lot of Polish immigrants. We had Latinos. We had Asian immigrants. Uh, we had people of all different backgrounds. We had a lot of like a, a white Southern, um, you know, like Irish type. And we had a lot of black people, Latino, Asian, etc. You get the point. So for me, I grew up in this mixed bag because it was like moderately poor area, but not too poor. So it was like a mix of kind of everybody. But outside of where I was, and it, and it still was fairly segregated where I was too. You can see all of these, all of the segregation. And it worried me. And it worries me to this day. And that's one of the reasons I think Muriel Bowser is bringing this up. I think it's a fair point, And we need to make sure we don't let that be the case. Conflict in general is bad. Ideological conflict is typically what it tends to be. I think it's all bad. I think violence is bad. And I think law enforcement needs to get a hold on what's happening. But if people start racially segregating inadvertently and we're seeing racialized conflict already, I really hope this isn't true. I, 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 you know what? I think I have a bias. I do. I think my bias is that I, ref, I, I, I don't want Muriel Bowser to be correct. But, you know, I have I have talked about the possibility of this in the past. A year ago, I was having a meeting with talking to people and I said, I think this will will, will happen at some point and it's going to create racial dividing lines. And then we saw the BLM riots. It may be that it's coming to that point. But there's one thing that gives me hope. And this may be surprising, but it's Donald Trump. The more I read about the black support for Trump, the more I feel that there actually is more racial unity. It's true. The left doesn't want to admit it. But the left can't just go around demanding you bend the knee to their weird diversity quotas or whatever. Donald Trump has, has forced no one to support him. In fact, it is a great risk to support Trump. And there are now all these polls showing 30 plus percent of the black community supporting Trump. That's at risk to themselves. That means a lot of people are standing up and saying no to this. And as long as that's true, it says to me that it's not about race and it won't be. And I hope it's I hope it remains that way. It's a superficial reason to fight someone. It's a stupid reason to fight someone. It is not something anybody should support in any way. So I hope Muriel Bowser is wrong. I look forward to the great melting pot of America succeeding. That's my, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. Why? I mean, look at my family. Okay. We, we are an example of successful melting pot America. People from different backgrounds from around the world came together, found love, had kids, did it again. The next generation found love, had kids. And here we are. I love what this country is. I hate the racism and I hate the racists. And I hope she's wrong. I hope it's not true. That's all I can say. It's going to be spicy come November. It's going to be spicy come the next several months. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. It is a different channel, and I will see you all then. We really are facing an existential threat as Americans. There is a large group of individuals who want to erase history, erase what made this country great. And I believe the reason they want to do it 
is that in order to instill authoritarianism and to assert authority over other people and force them to bend the knee and give up their labor for free, they need to remove all of these ideas like liberty, true classical liberalism, and the foundation of this country. Which brings me now to this story from D.C., which I believe goes, uh, it, it's crossed the line in terms of, you know, let me put it this way. I would never claim that speech is violence, but wow, if ever you could get close, DC panel targets Jefferson Memorial and Washington Monument. They want to remove the names of our early presidents and founding fathers in DC. They want to literally erase the people who made this country. Now that is a step too far. What happens? Well, the next generations go by not knowing who these people were, forgetting the ideas, the, 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 uh, the things they gave us. These are the people whose shoulders we are standing on when we say we're standing on the shoulders of giants and they would be erased. What you need to understand is that right now, young people at universities and in schools are claiming that I, for instance, am far right. What will happen in 20 or 30 years when the next generation believes that simply believing in our country is far right? It will be considered fringe to do so. Yeah, it is an existential threat, one that I believe can only end in actual physical conflict. Local, uh, local uh, WHIO TV says a local government advisory committee commission in Washington, D.C. has recommended sweeping name changes for schools, government buildings and public spaces in the nation's capital and is urging city's mayor to call on the federal government to possibly remove, relocate or contextualize a group of federal memorials, including the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument. 1984, anyone? The street names were already changed. Black Lives Matter Plaza. How dare they in D.C.? They can just do this? That's insane. Quote, the working group's research revealed that more than 70% of assets named in the District of Columbia are named for white men, many of whom were not district residents. The D.C. Faces report stated, the review was started in the wake of protests over police killing of George Floyd. The report, report singled out a series of schools for name changes, including past U.S. presidents Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, Zachary Taylor, John Tyler, and Woodrow Wilson, along with other luminaries like Alexander Graham Bell and Francis Scott Key. The recommendations quickly attracted the attention of the White House and communications director Alyssa Farah, who said, spoiler alert, Mayor Bowser's report recommends removing, relocating, contextualizing the Washington Monument, Jefferson Memorial, and Benjamin Franklin statue, to name a few. On Tuesday, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser did not specifically address any of the details in the report. I look forward to reviewing and advancing their recommendations, the mayor said on Twitter. Along with the schools, parks, statues, and monuments, the report also raised questions about the names of 78 streets in the nation's capital, 10 neighborhoods, and two libraries. The ideas quickly drew scorn from Republicans in the nation's capital. This is not parody, tweeted Nathan Brand of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. What a joke, except it's not funny anymore, said Spencer Brown of Young Americans for Freedom. They want to get rid of Andrew, ja Andrew Jackson, Thomas Jefferson, George Mason, Francis Griffith Newlands, Albert Pike, George Washington. While the city could rename schools and parks, no federal memorials could be changed or moved without the agreement of the federal government. Ladies and gentlemen, we are facing an existential threat to our nation. There is a subversive class of people in our government that wants to remove our history, invoking some kind of cult-like dogma 
about insane racist ideologies. If we do not stand up and push back against this, there won't be an America in, I don't know, five years, 10 years. I can only cross my fingers and hope Joe Biden doesn't get elected. He's shown more and more willingness to give in to this. I want you to take a look at this. Black Lives Matter Plaza. For the past three months, it's been Black Lives Matter terrorizing cities across this country. The media would lie and say it's not true. We've seen videos of them trying to burn down buildings, of them beating people and quite literally killing people. And the mayor of D.C. has put their name up on our city streets in our nation's capital, Black Lives Matter Plaza. The name was plastered all over city streets across this country. I do not view this as just a fun art project. This is quite literally a subversive anti-American racist or uh, uh, ideology. And they have invaded this country. I don't know how else to put it, but this is a step beyond the line. You know, early on, I might say something like, so what? They want to paint things, whatever. Now they're saying quite literally, take the names of our founding fathers and our leaders off of our schools and our streets. That to me is shockingly beyond uh, over the line. That's the only way I can really put it. We are facing a true threat to the core of this country. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm at a loss for words for how far this goes. It's not a threat of violence. They didn't come out with guns and take over. They did it slowly and they did it in our schools. That's why I really believe people need to start homeschooling. And I believe school choice is paramount. The people in our schools are indoctrinating kids. They are subverting our country's history and what makes us truly free because they want authoritarian communism. It's not an exaggeration. You take a look at the media. The New York Times writes, as guns get drawn at protest sites, demonstrators fear a volatile new phase. As right wing groups increasingly move to confront unrest in cities, demonstrators are taking drastic steps in asserting and assessing how to keep themselves safe. Here's what they say. For months, Reese Monson helped organize security for hundreds of protesters, providing shields in Portland. Shields. These people are coming out preparing for violence. And they're acting like they're the good guys. They're invading our city streets quite literally with violence. And they're telling us they're the good guys. You know what, man? I'm, if they ban me, whatever. I'm just so, I'm so over this. The line has been crossed. They've, they killed a guy in Portland. They shot him in the chest. And all we can do is cross our fingers and hope law enforcement will deal with it. But the criminal justice system is being subverted by rogue district attorneys. Governors and mayors are siding with the extremists. They have, they have gained so much control of our country. Now, Mr. Monson said they were considering a new kind of shield when they go out to demonstrate against racial injustice. Bulletproof vests. It wasn't the Trump supporters who came out and started the fight. It wasn't Donald Trump who came out and started the fight. I will tell you, the Republicans were late to the fray. And these individuals have been encroaching on our cultural institutions for a very, very long time now. They're armed. They're killing people. They're putting on bulletproof vests. They're in our schools. They're in the CDC. And across this country, cities are declaring racism is a public health crisis. The subversion is here. They're in the armed forces. They've allotted resources. And now Joe Biden is expected to surpass $300 million in a single month, shattering a record. The fundraising total would exceed previous monthly hauls 
and is more than double what the former vice president raised in July. I want to make one thing very, very clear for you. It is not radical to say a country should have borders. They've always had borders. It is not radical to say that we should have due due process for immigration. We've always had this. It is not radical to say that meritocracy is a part of this country. It is not radical to say we should have a strong military. It is not radical to say we should bring our troops back from the Middle East. These are things Donald Trump is doing. It's not radical to say we should support law enforcement. Indeed, we always have done this. What is radical is a moratorium on deportations. What is radical? Decriminalizing border crossings. What is radical? Abolishing private health insurance. These are things that Joe Biden has talked about doing. Now, abolishing private health care, not so much. He's for a public option. But a moratorium on deportation, you betcha. Decriminalizing border crossings, you know it. That's Joe Biden. And he's giving in to the far left, and that's why they want him their puppet candidate. They have subverted our country. Donald Trump is a moderate, mind you, a bombastic one, but he is. The things he's proposed are not out of line with where this country's been over the past several generations. A radical force is seeking to erase our history and reshape the nation. And now they're saying our president's own names should be removed from schools and memorials. If we don't fight back and vote these people out, there will be nothing left. It's, 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 it's serious. You know, Sean Parnell made, a, made a, a, a commercial about this, that we're fighting dark forces. And Donald Trump has said dark forces guide and control Joe Biden and the media defends them. It's, it's true, man. I think come this election time, it's going to be bad. But when they come to us and they say, remember the founding fathers who brought forth a new nation, individual liberties, forget them, erase their names, take them down, change the names of our streets invoke violence. And when we say no, they lie in the media. They lie. They run stories defending the far left. It's happening. I think we're headed for dark, dark times. I hope you're ready because we need a landslide victory for Donald Trump. Isn't that crazy? Because at least he represents this country. Whatever these people are, they are emboldened and they are nuts. With a landslide, it's the only way to push back. We got to do it. I got more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Joe Rogan left California, went to Texas. Many other people announced they'd be leaving these big cities and are fleeing. The exodus is real. We've seen it across the board with many states absorbing people and many states losing people. And to be fair, I'm leaving too. It's almost it's it's almost like uh, Atlas shrugged. You know, all the all the talented, smart people are fleeing as fast as they can as chaos engulfs cities. We'll see how this plays out. We have this medium post. The privileged have entered their escape pods. Technology gave us the dream of a cocooned future. Now we're living it. They mentioned this one segment. Don't tell anyone what one of my neighbors told me when he came over to borrow some chlorine tablets. But we're thinking to ride this whole thing out in Zurich, where the numbers are better. His wife still has her European passport, and they both have jobs that can be done entirely remotely. They'd be joining scores of people I know, not millionaires, but writers and marketers and consultants and web developers who are resettling in Canada or Europe on the logic that their kids shouldn't be sacrificed to their progressive parents' sense of shame about escaping. I don't necessarily care about this whole uh, article here. The point is, as things started to get crazy, many people who are privileged, I guess, whatever you want to call it, wealthy enough, 
are jumping in their escape pods and they're getting out before the chaos erupts. And it is erupting. And I won't be shy about it. I'm included. We, we, are, we are planning. An ex- we, we've been planning an expansion for some time. I needed more space. I was planning on operating locally. But then when COVID happened and my governor in New Jersey went insane and his brain basically exploded in his head, I decided we got to get out of here. They're arresting business owners. They're, they, this, the lockdown here makes no sense. And many of these governors were putting sick people in nursing homes. So I'm out. I'm gone because I can be. Many other people, not so much. And now we're seeing these cities become completely unlivable. It's just getting bad. Check out this tweet from John Levine of the New York Post. On Tuesday, a rabbi mugged. On Monday, a judge was punched. On Sunday, a man was filmed trying to rape a woman on the deck of the, of the, of the metro in New York City. One of the most shocking and insane things I've ever seen. I couldn't believe it in public in front of all these people. It's just absolutely insane. Here's the first story. Cold cocked judge becomes latest victim of senseless NYC violence. Attempted rape on NYC subway platform thwarted caught on disturbing video. Take a look at this story. Mike Cernovich highlighting this video. Bill uh, Malugan tweeted from Fox L.A., LAPD tells us they have launched a personnel investigation after video shows officers letting what appears to be an an extremely inebriated driver stumble away from the scene after he crashed into several parked cars in Los Feliz. No breathalyzer, no charges. Cernovich said, what were they supposed to do? Make an arrest and risk more riots? Perhaps a little hyperbolic, but sure, why not? What can police do at this point if they do anything to stop aggressive individuals and criminals while people are filming? They could get fired. People will call for their heads. Someone will say prosecute them and give them the death penalty if things go wrong. What if this extremely inebriated man was brought down to the ground because he was resisting and then died because being extremely inebriated, problems happen, maybe heart attack, who knows what? They'll blame the cop. So the cop says, Carry on, good sir. I'm not sticking my neck out for anything anymore. What happens when the police stop enforcing the law? And that's why we're seeing the exodus. It's why the privileged are getting into their escape pods. Sure, you can talk about COVID. Many of these articles have talked about the exodus being the COVID exodus. Please. I I get it. Businesses are shut down, but I got along just fine in in, in my town. We can go to the store. We bought a bunch of beans. We ate them. We had tacos. It was fantastic. I'm talking about the riots now, the extremists, the people being hunted down and targeted like the guy in Portland. It's funny. Scott Adams said it. Remember, Republicans will be hunted. And I laughed. I laughed. I said, well, come on. Oh, geez. Come on. Even though I've called, I'm sorry, even though I've I've predicted that there will be an escalation of violence. I still thought it was absurd what Scott Adams said over the top. Then Portland happened and they yelled, we got him right here. We got a couple right here. Pull it out here. Yeah. Bang, bang. Killed a Trump supporter. They were walking the other way, minding their own business. So yeah, the privileged elite are realizing what's happening. I'll tell you something. When you look to someone like Joe Rogan and you look to someone like me and many others who have fled these cities, I want to I want to I want to tell you something. One of the things 
that contributes to success is the ability to make accurate predictions. You know, someone like Joe didn't just become successful overnight on accident. Some people do for sure. But you look, I'll tell you this. I think it's funny every day when I, when I see these people laughing, saying that I'm wrong right now. And I'm like, dude, I hope I'm wrong to be honest, but come on, man. How much have I predicted that, you know, to an extent came true? I want to be wrong. I just think it's kind of funny. I do this for a living. You know, I got my start covering news because I could predict when there was going to be mass civil unrest. And I didn't think it was particularly difficult. People often wondered how it was that I was always on the ground when these things lit up. And I'm like, well, the, the, the governor just said these things and people said these things. So I figured with the next week, there'd be a riot and then I'd be there and they'd be like, how did you know to be there? How did Tim, how did you know to be in Ferguson? I was like, they burned down a gas station, dude. It wasn't hard to predict. They burned down a gas station. So I got on a plane. How did you know that I followed the news? My business, the things I do, it's all about looking at what's about to happen and then talking about what I see happening. And I've been told over and over again by these, these journalist com- journalism companies that I have the unfortunate privilege of being ahead of the market. Now, in terms of technology, that's true. Nobody wants to adopt technology when they don't know how to use it. I get it. But in terms of knowing where the story is, I have always, I, I, my success is predicated upon my ability to predict when something is going to happen. Let's go back in time. Let's go back to 2011. Occupy Wall Street. Why was I there? I saw something coming. And so I went and I was right. And I covered it and I got attention. Then I covered a lot of these protests throughout the, throughout the US. And I went to Vice and I said, Turkey is going to light up. And so I went to Turkey and I shattered viewership records for Vice. And they said, wow. Then I went to Brazil. Then I went to Venezuela. Then I went to Ukraine. Then I went to Thailand. And every single time I said, here's, here's what I suspect is going to happen. I wasn't always correct, but I had a tendency to be able to see, hey, something's going to happen here. So I'll tell you what my entire career is predicated upon. The privileged have entered their escape pods. It's not just me. I may be good at one thing being like, oh, hey, I think that's going to happen and saying it. It's not the profound ability to read the news and then say, oh, look. But many other wealthy individuals have built careers off understanding how systems work, looking at the crime and chaos in cities, seeing people. Look at this fleet of moving trucks arrive in the Upper West Side. Come on. It's kind of obvious what's going to happen next when there's no tax base in New York City. The police department, the, the public services will erode and fall apart. They'll call for federal funding. I mean, we, we, it, it's not difficult, is it? You just look at the 80s and you see what was happening with an eroded tax base. Trump brought it back or the 70s. I'm sorry. The privileged are leaving. These are people who have built companies because they've said, hey, I see something. If I take this widget and that widget, put them together, I get a super widget. I can sell that. People are going to want to use it. They built something. They saw something. No one else did. And they put it together. Now I'm looking at all of these privileged elites, these wealthy celebrities. People, these people aren't dumb. I mean, Joe Rogan can joke about how he's just some dumb guy, but he's clearly smarter than most people. And you, and, you, and you look at people like Donald Trump, they say, what a moron. And I'm like, the dude is a billionaire and he's the president. What makes you think he's stupid? I've had success with my company as well. And I'm doing the same thing as many of these other people fleeing these cities. What do you think comes next? Why are all the wealthy, successful people who have the ability to do so run uh, the ability to do so running as fast as they can? Because they think it's going to get bad. 
they think it's going to get real bad. I, th- I certainly think so. This is kind of an addendum to the past segments I've done. The point is, I love it when I see these, these, these you know, uh, hate comments and they're saying things about, you know, Tim talking about civil war, what a, what, what a moron. And I'm just curious because I'm like, you do realize I didn't make this up and I'm not the first person to say it or talk about it. When I talk about conflict and escalation and chaos, it's actually because I read The Atlantic. There was an article talking about it a couple of years ago. They said security experts warn the U.S. is, is breaking into civil war territory. And I went, wow, that's crazy. I didn't make it up. I just read other people. Then I saw everything. And I said, maybe there's something to this idea. Then I see people fleeing cities, violence erupting in the street, a Trump supporter getting shot in the chest, hunted down. Wow, Scott Adams was right. Yikes. What does that mean? It means you better take care of yourself. It means you better get ready for what's going to happen in November. And it means you better hope that we are all morons. People don't like the idea that what I'm saying is negative. I'm not trying to sensationalize. I'm literally reading a story in the news about an exodus from New York City. I've pulled up a a tweet from John Levine about a, a, a guy climbed on top of a woman on the train platform in public view. Crime is going up. Lethal crime. Petty crime is going down. I get it. But you have to ask yourself, someone like Warren Buffett, how does he know what to invest in to keep making himself rich, huh? These people who predict the markets and get rich off of it, they must know something, right? They're not predicting the future. They're just analyzing patterns. And then they're, and then more often than not, they tend to be correct. That's it. They're not necessarily geniuses or the smartest people in the world. They just have a 51% chance they were right. And if all of these people are running full speed out of these cities, I wonder what it means. Take a guess. I think it's going to get real bad. And I hope you're ready. The rich people have jumped ship. We'll see how this plays out. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. The media likes to say that Donald Trump is a conspiracy theorist. And I find it funny considering they're conspiracy theorists too, at the very least. But I wonder why it is that we have to just assume that the media is the authority on truth and that the president doesn't know things. The craziest and strangest things about claims made by Donald Trump being called lies is that Well, doesn't Trump have access to privied information? In which case you'd be like, wow, what kind of documents does Trump have? Instead, the media says Trump's making stuff up and he's lying. When these things often are just maybe a misunderstanding, you know, Trump's misunderstanding. But in this instance, we have have something particularly uh, notable. Donald Trump says the White House is investigating a plane loaded with thugs in black uniforms who traveled to the RNC intent on doing big damage and claims rioters are being funded by some very stupid rich people. That's all true. Okay, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Thugs on a plane in black uniforms? What what is this? What is Trump talking about? Well, the media would have you believe that there was a plane full of a bunch of like men wearing uniforms like cops with badges, carrying weapons, chanting together or, you know, and like some commander comes in and says, we are going to overthrow DC or some nonsense. The most extreme interpretation. When I hear this, what do I hear? 
some ladies on a plane and she saw like six people look like Antifa and got worried about it. And they were flying to D.C. Now, Trump may take it, you know, uh, the game of telephone may make this more extreme than it really is. But let me tell you something. I've seen it. I've seen it all the time. I've, I, I just did a segment where I talked. I, look, I used to fly around the world. There was a period for a couple of years where I, fl- I was flying twice a week. I had executive platinum status for American Airlines. First class all the time, baby. That's how often I flew or international. Even I had unlimited upgrades. It was awesome. But I was flying twice a week. I, I would say if I was going to do the proper math, it was like 1.7 times per week. A lot of flights. When I would fly into protest cities, guess what? There would be a handful of Antifa far leftists getting on the plane too. Many of these, it's, it's not, it, listen, regional flights are not expensive. Flying from New York to Baltimore, I think, I don't even know if we flew from New York to Baltimore. I don't think we did. Maybe we did. Uh, I think we may have, dro- I think we drove down actually. It's only a couple hours. Flying from New York to Chicago, it's like a hundred bucks. So you get some dude who works fast food. He's a hippie, crazy anarchist guy. He saves a hundred bucks and he, buy, he, he buys a ticket to Chicago. I can't tell you how many times I've been on planes. And every single time you'll notice two things. When you're flying from New York to any riot city, you will notice a ton of journalists waiting to board the plane. You'll also notice five, no, notice five or six individuals with crazy patches and anarchy and, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all that stuff. And I'd laugh about it. And I'd be like, yeah, there it is. The tourists are inbound. You know, the parachute journalists and the crazies coming in. Donald Trump's talking about one plane uh, loaded with thugs in black uniforms. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because I've been on probably 50 planes where I've seen this. I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not crazy. How many people in New York or Chicago or LA are far left and their parents pay their bills? A lot, enough. How many of them saved up a couple hundred bucks and got on a plane? It's not a big deal. It's just people on a plane. Here's what they say. The president made the comment in an hour-long interview with Laura Ingram. During the interview, Trump said that his Democratic rival Biden was having his strings pulled by people you've never heard of, people in the dark shadows. Ingram replied, what does that mean? That sounds like a, a conspiracy theory. Trump replied, replied, there are people that are on the streets, people who are controlling the streets. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend, and in the plane, it was almost completely loaded with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms with gear and this and that. They're on a plane. When asked for details, he replied, I'll tell you sometime it's under investigation right now. I could probably, it, it, it never even registered with me. You know, it, it's really funny. There's, there's been a lot of instances where I hear conservatives say things like, can you believe this? Somebody was on a plane and they saw a bunch of people wearing like dark clothes, like they were going to the riots. And I'd just be like, that's like every plane I've ever been on to a riot city. We literally call those people the tourists. Many of them you see on planes all the time. During Occupy Wall Street, many of these people we knew were trust fund kids. It's in the news. Everybody was talking about it. They call it a conspiracy theory because of the way Trump frames it. Oh, you know, Biden's having his strings pulled by these dark figures in the shadows. And they're like, oh, Trump's so crazy. Several Black Lives Matter organizers have straight up said that Biden is malleable and that they can manipulate him. That's what Trump is probably referring to. Many of these extremists fly around the country and the world, mind you, because often some of them have parents who pay their bills. It's always funny to me. I hear people say, who's funding this, Tim? Who's funding Antifa? And I'm like, nobody, their dad or something. My favorite conspiracy theory is that someone must be funding me. 
And I love it when people post comments like, how is Tim able to do the job he does? What does he do for a living? Dude, I run a business. You think I'm not making money doing what I'm doing? It's called owning a company. Listen, there's no big conspiracy, okay? There are, to an extent, some conspiracies, right? Are there nonprofits that fund people to travel? Yes, many of them. It's, it's, it's not even crazy to, to, to like, it, we, we know it. There are protest organizers. There are groups. Black Lives Matter is an organization that accepts donations. I mean, sort of. Their donations funnel to, to, to like thousand currents, I think it's called. But do you think that they don't front the bills for some of these activists to fly out? Of course they do. So when Trump says this, it sounds pretty dark. Trump could have said it in a very, very simple way. Joe Biden is having his pulled strings by special interest groups. It's the same story here over and over again in politics. You know, there are big companies that are helping, you know, prop up his funds. They, they know that he'd be willing to give them special favors or be malleable to their causes. And so a lot of these big nonprofits and activist groups will fund programs or advertisements or things that will benefit Biden because Biden's going to, you know, do their thing. That's it. Many of these activists get on planes to travel around. It's that that's just it. You tone down the rhetoric actually sounds pretty normal, right? Should should they be allowed to do it? I got to be honest. Why not? Now, look, should they be allowed to commit crimes? No, of course not. When you see these tourists flying from out of town, and I've seen it over and over again, you, what, what, you, they're allowed to travel. Just it, it's that it's that simple. They're not allowed to go and smash things, burn things, incite riots and teach people to commit crimes that they're doing. And that's the big issue. That's what I hope Trump is investigating. There are people who will fly to another area and offer up trainings on certain tactics. I was once asked to give a training on live streaming, and I did. That's not illegal. That's normal. And I went to an activist, you know, uh, activist HQ, and I said, here's how live streaming works. Honestly, I'm all about transparency within certain you know, degrees. That's not black and white. And I think the more people filming, the better, even on the far left, because they're oftentimes filming themselves committing crimes. So if they're going to know how to do it, great. But there are other people who come in in secret and they'll say, here's how you make a weapon. Here's how you turn something into a weapon. Here's how you get away with things legally. And that is, in my opinion, funded domestic terrorism. But it's not expensive, man. One of the big problems I see is that food is almost free. We have all these luxuries and we are facing an illness of a wealth existential crisis in this country. When you have people who don't have to work, but they still have air conditioning and refrigerators and washing machines and the food pantry gives out food for free. Well, they got nothing to do. And idle hands being the devil's playground, they decide I'm going to go burn everything down and they go and do it. So you'll get a lot of people. Some of them will get EBT cards, uh, electronic food benefits, right? Some of them will have under the table jobs. They get their food paid for by food banks. I'll tell you what, in Seattle, so a lot of people got to understand about Seattle. There's there are people who live there. I, I, I met them. This is dec- a decade plus uh, when I, li- uh, I lived there when I was like 21, 34 now. And there were people who said, here's what you do. On Monday, we go to this food bank. On Tuesday, we go to this food bank. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, etc." I lived in Fremont, very close to Ballard. And there were two food banks. And so they'd be like, here's the day we go to the food bank. You'd go in and they had like a rack of bread. You just walk in and take whenever you want. So you never went hungry and we never spent money on food. I mean, it's kind of cool that they try to take care of each other. When I first moved to Seattle, I went to a gas station. I had a handful of change, about like $1.70. I was broke. 
And I walked up and they had breakfast sandwiches. And I said, how much? And they were like a buck a piece. And I started counting nickels and pennies. And the dude behind the counter was like, bro, bro, bro. It's like, we're going to we're going to throw these sandwiches away in like 20 minutes. I'll just give you all of them. And I was like, for real? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Keep your change, man. You're going to need that. I'm like, dude, thank you. And he gave me all he gave me like 10 sandwiches. It was awesome. I didn't even eat them all. And then I was told by other people, don't fret. You just moved to town. You're broke. Go get free benefits. I wasn't a big fan of it. Ultimately, ended up getting a job very, very quickly. I did actually benefit. That's why I'm actually in favor of a lot of, uh, of social programs. Mind you, I've, I've said this before. I've benefited from them. But listen, the point is, for me, when I got there, I got food benefits because I was desperately broke. But I immediately got a job. And I immediately said, I don't need this anymore and I don't want it. I want to I, I be responsible to myself and nobody else. But what happens when you can snap your fingers, walk in and get free food? The people stop spending money on food and they start putting the money somewhere else. It's not hard to fund their far left ideology. Then they start thinking things like, well, I got free food. Why shouldn't everybody get free food? That's what it's like when you live in these places, when there's a food bank where all of the young people just get free food every single day. They find something to do and they spend their money on flying around and causing problems for everybody else. So no, it's not a conspiracy theory. Let me wrap it up with that. Trump just doesn't understand the full context of what's happening. And there you go. Should these people be investigated? Yes, because if they're using money flying across state lines and helping people commit crimes, then yes, they need to be stopped. It's not that crazy, though. It's normal. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time.